match week five and match week six are officially in the books. A lot of Premier League content to cover this week. But before we get into that, we have some very, very sad news for the Premier League community. You've probably already heard it. Uh, as you can't see because you're listening on audio, me and Ethan are dressed in very formal attire today. And when me and Ethan are dressed in formal attire, that can only mean one thing on this podcast. We've lost a Premier League manager. And our first Premier League sacking this year goes by the name of Scott Matthew Parker of Bournemouth. And if there's one thing I have to say about this sacking, it's gone too soon. There's nothing more you can say other than gone too soon. I mean, any manager sacked after four games, you have to believe that the higher-ups at the club have jumped the gun. And this is definitely an example of that. I mean, he had to face Arsenal, Man City, and Liverpool in three of his first four games as a newly promoted team, having spent almost nothing in the summer. I think they signed, like, Neto from Barca, or I can't think of any other signs than that one. But, yeah, this is absolutely brutal and cold-blooded sacking from AFC Bournemouth. And the one game that Scott Parker didn't have to play a big six club in his managerial tenure in the Premier League, he won against Aston Villa 2-0 at home. So, this is just such a short-sighted decision from the Bournemouth higher-ups. But then again, in these past two weeks, they drew and won. So, maybe they were onto something. But nonetheless, you still have to feel for Scott Parker. It's, in my opinion, truly a case of a little bit quick on the trigger. Yeah. I don't think Scott deserved this. He deserved a little more time, especially getting Bournemouth, by the way, a minuscule club compared to some of these other mm. ones, back into the Premier League after getting relegated. I was pretty sure after Bournemouth got relegated and they fired Eddie Howe that they were doomed to championship or League One uh, fates for the next decade. And Scott Parker got them right back where they needed to be. And after... Four match weeks? Five match weeks? Four. Four match weeks. They give him the boot. So sad. Gone way too soon. And if you'll join me, Ethan, in a moment of silence for Scott Matthew Parker. Thank you. And now we will continue with the regularly scheduled Premier League content. Ethan, will you hit us with the worst team wins fantasy updates? Yes. So this is both from game week five and game week six. It wasn't a double game week on FPL, but we're just doing both, combining them. So my combined point total for my team, Garnacho Cheese, this week was 74 points. And for Brain's team, Jesus died for our top bins, was 88 points. So I won this week by 14 points. And not too many big takeaways from this week. I'd say the return of Darwin Nunez seemed to slow down Firmino, and that's a very welcome return for my team because Firmino was heating up a bit in the absence of Nunez. But even if Nunez isn't scoring every week for your team, as long as he's preventing Firmino from scoring for my team, I'll take that trade off. And of course, yeah, I would say so. Erling Holland can't stop scoring right now. I'll 
let you say something if you want to say anything at all about that. <laughs> there will be no comments at this time for Braden's case. That's thank you. That's probably a pretty smart move. I'd 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 probably stay in the shadows for a couple weeks, just lay low. Maybe he'll not score for like two games, and then you can you can peek out. But I will. That is the FPL update. Um, for the overall points, I'll do an update. Uh, I have twenty two hundred and twenty four points. Brain's team has two hundred fifty eight points, so I have a thirty four point lead overall. Not bad for having a player that might break every goal record known <laughs> to the Premier League this no, season. No, not bad at all. Uh, I'm still in it somehow. After almost throwing at this point, <laughs> but we'll see. I think Darwin Nunez's uh, headbutt helped a bit there. <laughs> He's keeping you in this. <laughs> I'll take what I can get. Anyways, we have a lot of Premier League content to cover this week, both Match Week 5 and Match Week 6. So without further ado, let's get into it. Both, uh, all three of the matches we'll be covering this week, uh, game by game, will be from Match Week 6. So we do also want to cover Match Week 5, so let's get into that right now. Starting with Crystal Palace at 1, Brentford 1. Nice point for the Bees at Crystal Palace, which has been a, a very hot team this year. So, Also, Brentford has been very good this year. This is a Brentford yeah. team that I thought were going to finish bottom five, and they look like they could easily push for the top half of the table right now. Yeah, definitely. Ivan Tony is, is hot as balls <laughs> right now. Um, seriously, I mean, we'll, we'll get into it when we go over match week six, but he is crazy hot right now. Can't really be stopped. And if you're a Brentford fan, not too bad. Uh, Fulham 2, Brighton 1. A rare dropped points from the uh, Seagulls. Fulham take all three at Craven Cottage. Uh, Mitrovic gets the goal, obviously. Lewis Dunk puts one into his own net. Alexis McAllister, the prime form he's in, continues. Mm -hmm. And Fulham take all three points at home. Southampton 2, Chelsea 1, a result that I didn't see coming. I don't think anyone really saw no, coming. Definitely not me. But, and especially after Raheem Sterling finished uh, a prime 20 minutes of Chelsea pressure with a goal, I was ready to turn it off and uh, give up on this one. But six minutes after, Romeo Leiva, 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 Lavia, Scores to equalize, and then Adam Armstrong, right before halftime, holds it out. Three points for Southampton at home against Chelsea. A team that I thought was going to struggle and is continuing to struggle. Uh, they got their striker, <laughs> Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. I am excited, to say the least, to, to watch him play for Chelsea Football Club. How do you feel about that one? Oof. Honestly, I don't know how he's going to fare back in the Premier League. Uh, obviously he played pretty well at Barcelona, so maybe, you know, it was just Arsenal that was the problem for him, that things didn't really work out towards the end. Obviously he had a falling out with Arteta. So we'll see. Obviously he's still a striker who's been able to score goals recently in the last six months. Xavi definitely wanted to keep him, but now I have no idea what to do with my Aubameyang jersey. So there's that. <laughs> Yeah, well, I got Lacazette, so <laughs> who scored a semi-worldy that got overturned at the weekend? I don't know oh, I saw did that, see that, really yeah. On. 
Um, anyway, Leeds United 1, Everton 1. Points shared at Leeds United. Sinistera gets off the board for Leeds United. Pretty solid. Basic 1-1. One, one. Probably deserved to split the points, and that's what happened. Bournemouth 0, Wolves 0. First game after the unfortunate Scott Matthew Carson sacking. Rest in peace. Not very Parker, entertaining not here. Carson. <laughs> Scott Carson. Scott Carson is the goalkeeper for Manchester City Football Club. Thank you. Scott Parker uh, was fired. And not really getting too much more exciting for Bournemouth. Very boring nil-niller. Mm-hmm. That's a Wolves uh, we'll uh, get specialty into... nil-nillers <laughs> as of late. And then uh, Manchester City 6, Nottingham Forest 0. A little bit of frustration taken out on Nottingham Forest <laughs> at home. Erling Holland, Hattrick, Jao uh, Cancelo, and I believe Phil Foden get on the board there. Or was it Julian Alvarez? It was Julian it was Alvarez. Alvarez. I think Alvarez uh, scored twice. Gets a brace. Yeah. Yes, he gets that brace there. Um, first Premier League goal of his tenure at Manchester City, I believe. Arsenal 2, Aston Villa 1. Gabriel Jesus gets his first, not his first Emirates goal. He scored two of them against <laughs> Leicester. Uh, gets the first goal of this game in the 30th minute. And then Douglas Luiz in the 74th scores a very controversial, mm-hmm. uh, what's it called, Olympico yeah. from the corner. And then Arsenal said, uh, yeah, let's get him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they did not have any of that. Three minutes later, Martinelli puts it into the other net. For 2-1, three points secured at home. They stay perfect, at least for the time being. West Ham won, Spurs won. You might think Spurs would be fortunate to drop points in this game, but West Ham deserved all three. I don't know if you watched this one, but they were all over Spurs. And I have some Spurs fans that, if you look at the XG, it was... A little lopsided. Yeah. They, it says here, sixty-two percent possession for Spurs. We all know that that means they played like shit. <laughs> That's the opposite of what the Spurs com- want to be doing. <laughs> completely did not go according to plan. West Ham probably deserved all three points at home, but the points are shared. Drop points for Spurs. They're still in the top four. Liverpool two, Newcastle one. This one was very entertaining. Firmino in the 61st after the Isaac opener in the 38th. And then with Fergie time, Klopp time, whatever you want to call it, the 98th minute of five minutes of extra time, Carvalho snatches uh, onto the end of a corner kick, takes all three points at home. Anfield goes wild. Not sure if they deserve three points there, but they got it. It's and three Liverpool, points they'll take. <laughs> yep, they definitely know how to. Steal three points when they don't deserve it, that's for sure. Leicester, zero. Manchester United, one. Man, you pretty much had a chokehold on this game. Uh, it's possible that, you know, in a one-goal game they could have dropped, but... Yeah, I watched you know. the last, like, 20 minutes of this game, and I've never seen a team defending a 1-0 lead more comfortably than United. Yeah, Leicester it, had absolutely it, nothing going forward. Kind of a testament to how their Leicester City's season has gone. They just look a little bit uninspired at the moment. And that's what happened. Even at home against Man United, I thought they would be a little bit more inspired to maybe get three points. Those big six games are always big deals, but not on that day. And that brings us to match week six. First game we're going to go over. Liverpool nil. Everton 
nil. And normally after a nil-nil affair, we would skip over it because there's not too much to talk about, even if we plan on talking about it before. But this one pretty much had it all from the kickoff of a horrid weekend for VAR (laughs) to Pickford man of the match, some great performances from Anthony Gordon, some horrible performances from Nero Mope and Joe Gomez. What did you make of it all? I mean, there was just... I don't think you'll see a more entertaining nil-nil game this season. Absolutely everything. I mean, to be fair, when we were going through these predictions, I said it'd be pretty one-sided. Your prediction was almost spot-on, I should say, because you did believe that it'd be a back-and-forth type of match, and it absolutely was. Both these sides could have easily had two or three. How many times does the woodwork hit? And... (laughs) Yeah, is uh, <laughs> I would say it, it was hit like three times in the span of four yeah. minutes in the second half. Like it was all over the place. It this is one of those games that seems like video game like where the game wouldn't allow itself to be decided. Yeah, uh, definitely some controversies with VAR. I mean, the Connor Cody goal. I mean, offside is pretty much offside. I'd say it's probably the more obvious in quotes for var offsides that you'll see because it wasn't you know a tenth of a toenail off so i don't think there can be any complaints about that now the van dyke one was a bit more controversial i want to hear your take first before i talk about it my take is that um and i have a a particular line that you've heard me say when uh players get uh get away with red card offenses and it's um he's lucky he didn't play for arsenal (laughs) Because Van Dyke is very lucky he didn't play for Arsenal. Because not only would have been sent off, but he would have been charged with multiple war crimes <laughs> against many states around Europe. Because that is just about as red card as they come if you're wearing an Arsenal jersey. But not if you're wearing a different jersey. Because <laughs> that was ridiculous. I, I mean, how many times have you seen that given? Many, on, many the, on the spot or with VAR. Arsenal players. Just... Uh, and I'm not gonna play victim here, which I maybe already have, but it's if you're going to call it, it just seems like it changes year to year, game to game. That the precedent with those studs up challenges into the ankles. If it's dangerous, it's dangerous, but it's not dangerous this year, but it is dangerous next year. It 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 needs to be laid out a lot more clearly because it's just very inconsistent. And the thing about this VAR, and we'll get into VAR a lot throughout the course of these games is that it's not an issue in any of the other leagues. No one in Italy, in France, in Germany is complaining about VAR. It's just the English referees that cannot get it right. And, and I saw this take on Twitter, and it, it's kind of eye-opening that the only fans that, I mean, you know, there's a general reputation of VAR that it, you know, ruins the game. You can't really celebrate goals anymore. Like, if you want to have that take, so be it. But when it comes to poor VAR decisions, it only happens in England. Yeah. On I don't the first place that I saw VAR implemented was the 2018 World Cup. I don't remember a poor decision that VAR made in that World Cup. Everything was like, oh yeah, you can look at the tape, you can see what happened, and we're gonna call it as it as it happened in the English Premier League. It's like. How many times have you listened to commentators say, well, this is clearly this, but I have no idea what VAR is going to think? Yeah. 
Like it's it's like a coin flip. It's like, well, it should be called this, but it only has a 40% chance of actually being right. Like what are they not seeing the same angles that we're seeing? It it just doesn't make any sense and in other leagues they try to counteract this like in the Australian league, I know that they um they mic up the referees when they're going to talk to the booth um to the to the the referee in the in the VAR booth and they discuss and they and they publicize that um that conversation that they have that back and forth with like okay Van Dyke goes in with his studs okay you know what I can see how you might think this is malicious but I see I think he's going for the ball I don't think it's malicious enough I'm going to give it just the yellow that's fine but the fact that it's like so in the dark and then this call sets this precedent and then next week Somebody, I'm not going to say an Arsenal player, mm. but any player goes in with their studs similar to Van Dyke, and it gets the call, uh, uh, and it gets overturned and, and becomes a red card. And then that, that's the issue. It's, it's not VAR. It's the English VAR referees. And I don't know how you necessarily fix that. If, I mean, I, I don't know how you fix that. It's just like a culture of poor VAR play in, in England. I don't know. But that, that's kind of what it is. Yeah, I definitely agree that inconsistency is the biggest issue with VAR. Because in my opinion, I don't think that Van Dyke challenge is a red card. I don't think it is. Have I seen challenges like that being given as a exactly. red card before? Yeah. 100%. 100%. That's why sometimes when, when I look at penalties that should have been given for Arsenal and they're not penalties, I'm like, that's not a penalty. But I've seen it uh-huh. given against Arsenal. Like, you need to call it consistent. That's the most frustrating thing about playing soccer and watching soccer is when referees are inconsistent if you want to call the game tough if you want to call it physical that's fine call it physical for 90 minutes but if you're going to call it physical for the first half and then and then go soft in the second half that's where in that's where it just gets so frustrating for viewers and for players and you know the sport is so subjective but as long as you call it consistent no one really has any issues with it. It's just the consistency. Yeah, yeah, definitely. There's not much more you can say about it. And But obviously, we'll get into VAR even more than we have already because yes. it gets worse, believe it or not. So, <laughs> Do you want to go through uh, Chelsea West Ham for us? Sure. So the next game we have up is Chelsea 2, West Ham 1. The score opens in the 62nd minute with Mikel Antonio as Mendy slaps a looping ball straight to Declan Rice, who scores it to Mikel Antonio on the line to tap it in and miss the goal line scramble. 1-0 to West Ham. That one was awfully chaotic. Yes, very I, chaotic. I, there were like four Chelsea players lying uh-huh. in the goal after this ball went in. <laughs> yeah. And the 76th minute, Ben Chilwell equalizes for Chelsea. Uh, Thiago Silva long ball into the box. Pops... This is very unorthodox. Like popped off of Chilwell's head, like as he's like turning. I don't think he's even like trying to make a play for the ball. But then as it comes down, he deftly pokes it through the legs of Fabianski from a tight angle to equalize. It was a very nice finish, but the means by which he got there were very odd. And then in the 88th minute, Chilwell is involved again as he puts a ball across for Kai Havertz, who gets across Ogbonna and volleys home at the near post for his first of the season. He'll be very, very relieved to have gotten off the mark with how much criticism you, you personally well. have given him. 
I'm sure he was thinking, you know what? Today's the day. Make up for yeah. <laughs> today's the it day. Doesn't quite make up for all of them. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't quite make up for all the times where he's looked like um, a flop, <laughs> and he still does. But nonetheless, worth every penny of that, like eighty mil. Anyway, yeah, something like that. And then the most controversial moment of this game: Maxwell Cornet gold disallowed. Mere 90 seconds after Havertz puts Chelsea in front, a poor-headed back pass from Reese James forces Mendy to come out and parry the ball into the path of Cornet, who takes a touch and smashes it into the top corner. And we all know what happened next, Brayden. Uh, yeah, we're we all we're all praying for Mendy <laughs> for his good health after this one. Uh, I. I don't know what the explanation was. This is one of those where I wish I could hear the the VAR booth because it almost looked like they were giving Mendy a reward for staying down. They were saying because Mendy stayed down, his injury caused him to not get up and defend the goal, which caused the goal. So... They're saying that had Mendy not stayed down, it would have been a goal. But had because many f- Mendy faked the injury, they gave him the benefit of the doubt, which is just anti-soccer in every form. Which that that's how I interpreted everything. Again, there was no explanation from the referees. Still no explanation from the referees. But this that's how I interpreted. From the clip and from the process, the fact that it was a goal on the field and they overturned it. There's, unless they really felt that Bowen could have gotten out of the way of a sliding Edward Mendy, who's six seven and coming in at full speed, unless they truly felt that Bowen did not do enough to get out of the way, which objectively he did everything uh-huh. he could. Maybe he left that leg there, but it's a contact sport, Ethan. There were I was looking in the Chelsea comment section on that post that said we won two one, and they were like, "Uh, we got three points, but I don't know who was in charge of that <laughs> of that Mendy decision." This is this is biased Chelsea fans saying, "Well, not sure how we got three points out of that one." I, it's one of those things. VAR was so bad this weekend that it unified fan bases. Yeah. Like, you couldn't do that if you were, like, a world leader, let alone a VAR system. Like, it's it's crazy how much of a perfect storm this weekend was for VAR. How, like, the worst VAR decisions so far this season all came within, like, 24 hours of each other. It was, yeah, this one was dreadful. It's just those inconsistency things that frustrate fans the most, and it certainly didn't stop on Saturday. Yeah, this this call is just inexplicable. I haven't seen a VAR decision like this where you just simply, even if you disagree with the VAR decision, to a certain point you understand like the thinking of the person who made the decision. Like They just didn't see it as egregiously as you perceive it. But this one... It's just, there's nothing to perceive. There's nothing that can be misinterpreted here as a foul, in my opinion. Because 
It's not like in everyone's opinion. Jared Bowen's foot, yes, it collided with Edward Mendy. Like technically, yes, they made contact, but it didn't change any sort of thing nope. on the play. Nothing about the play changed. Mendy was never going to be a part of that play, regardless of whether Bowen, you know, tapped him with his foot or not. Like Mendy was out of the play, and it's very clearly not a foul because it's simply just contact. It's like mm-hmm. Bowen's like gone in late with a challenge. He's literally trying to avoid Mendy, and it's just player keeper contact. It happens in every single game and isn't called a foul for. It's just it just seems like VAR is just looking. It's like guilty until proven innocent instead of like the other way mm. around. It's it's supposed to be and the the term that's flown around VAR is clear and obvious. It needs to be clear and this is the basis of every video re- review system in every mm-hmm. sport in the world is that the referees on the field make the decision, which he did. He saw the whole thing. Uh, I don't it was Anthony Taylor. It wasn't. It wasn't. No. I who whatever referee it was. Um, he saw the whole thing, made his decision as a professional, trained, experienced referee, then went to the booth, and it needs to be clear and obvious. VAR is only there. This is the way it works in every sport. Football, basketball, baseball, everything. It needs to be clear and obvious. And we'll get to clear and obvious when we get to the uh, Arsenal-Manchester United game. But it needs to be clear and obvious to overturn it. The referee on the field has the main decision, and the guys in the booth only intervene if it, there was a clear and obvious instance of malpractice. Clearly, clear, clearly there was not, and they still felt the need to step in. It's just the inconsistencies again about VAR that continue to frustrate, and we feel for West Ham fans because, again, they deserved more from this game. Yeah, definitely. Especially with Kai Havertz scoring. <laughs> How unlucky is that? Yeah. No, West Ham put in some good performances as of late, and it's just a shame because it's not being translated into points right now. Because yeah. at the beginning of the season, they were pretty shambolic. I'm not going to lie. At least offensively. Defensively, for the whole yeah. of the season, they've actually been pretty good. I thought their defensive shape has mm-hmm. always been fairly solid this season. Yeah. But offensively, they've they were really poor at the beginning of the season and now they're sort of, you know, finding their rhythm a bit with, uh, you know, the new signing, uh, Lucas Paqueta from Leon. But right now it's still not translating into points really for them. I mean, they got the point off Tottenham, but they, like you said before, they could have had three possibly in midweek. So things are looking up for them right now in terms of performances. West Ham. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, they were, not only did they not score a goal for the first three or four games of the season, but they didn't even look threatening, really. No. I think Ben Rama hit the crossbar on a free kick, and that was about it. Like, they, they managed, like, 1.2 expected goals or something like that through their first three or four games. Like, they were, you know, David Moyes, for as good as he's been, it's tough to have that stretch of performances and not be on the hot seat, but they've definitely picked it up. Now it's just down to, you know, the soccer guys giving them points for what they deserve, and Right now, they're not getting it. I think that they'll rebound. Um, maybe they won't finish as high as I thought they were this season, but they're not going to, you know, contest relegation or anything like that. At least, that's for me. Yeah, no, they'll be just fine this season. 
Anyway, move on to the ultimate game of the, of the weekend. Manchester United 3, Arsenal 1. Not another game that wasn't without some VAR controversies. Starting off early in the 12th minute with a disallowed goal from Gabriel Martinelli. Played through by Saka. Finishes coolly, but the Martin Odegaard contact, original contact, turned foul on Christian Eriksen. That gave Arsenal the ball. That turned into the goal, was deemed a foul, and the goal was taken off the board. And we'll get to that after, the, after I run through with this all. Anthony scores in the 35th. Again, it was those Manchester United counterattacks that proved so deadly for him on Sunday. First of one was Anthony. A couple of really swift passes to Rashford, who slips the ball through the legs of Zinchenko. Anthony, all he's got to do is use that favorite left foot, curl it around Ramsdale with the keeper dead to rights. And it was one nothing, <clears throat> Manchester United after 35 minutes. We moved to the 60th minute, where Bukayo Saka, who hadn't had a great game to that point, finds himself on the end of a Jesus deflected shot off of, uh, I believe it was Sandra Martinez or uh, I think Dallo. Dal- uh, no, it was Dallo. Um, but Odegaard, little Lacroquette the ball into. Jesus tries the shot, gets deflected, finds Saka, buries it in the back of the net, through Lissandra Martinez's legs, excuse me, and that made it 1-1. At this point in the game, I thought that this was going to end in a draw. I said it before the game, it was just, feels like one of those games where, like, Arsenal's playing so well, Man United clearly are a different breed this year at home with that Liverpool win. Um... I feel like, you know, immovable object meets an unstoppable force, nil nil, one one, two two, something like that. Uh, which is what I felt at this point in the game. But Arsenal pushed a little bit too hard for that for that winner, left himself exposed at the back. Marcus Rashford, credit to him, used that pace very, very well from that number nine position, hangs on the shoulder, gets a perfectly timed, perfectly weighted Bruno Fernandez ball, and buries it. Uh, I think he might have dragged this wide, if not for a Ben White intervention at the end. Tough to tell. Yeah, it's tough to tell. Um, ben White definitely. Nonetheless, it, yeah. Nonetheless, found the back of the net two one, and then as Arsenal pushed to try to get something from the game, similar thing happened. Their hard li- their high line was exposed. F- Fernandez plays through Eriksson, who has the easy job of tapping it square to Rashford, who has an e- even as easier job. Of tapping it into the empty net. 3-1 is your final at Old Trafford. Um, but it didn't really feel like that. I usually Twitter after an Arsenal loss makes me feel worse about myself. Mm-hmm. Admittedly so. Like, I get into it a little bit. Not verbally, but um I go on Twitter to, just to like rub it in with myself, get it all out. But oddly enough. I was much more pessimistic about this performance than almost all of the Arsenal community. The Arsenal community kind of cheered me up. It was all positivity. It was this, you know, the soccer gods weren't with us today. We had our chances. We won on XG. 1.5 to 1.4 on XG, which was interesting to see. They had their chances. They played through them. Saliba had a chance earlier in the game, which he uh, flunked. Odegaard had a chance on his favorite left foot, which he flunked. 
Saka had a chance on his right foot, which he flunked. Like, Martinelli shouldn't have gotten taken off the board, in my opinion, but, you know, by source. Mm-hmm. Like, we'll go back to that Martinelli thing. Clear and obvious. It, <laughs> that's the issue. Clear and obvious. Kevin Friend, I believe, or Paul Tierney. I'm not sure. Are you saying who is the VAR official on this one? Yeah, I think it was Paul Tierney. Oh, no, 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 no. It was uh, the guy, the ref on the field was Paul Tierney. Paul Tierney was standing five feet away, max, like t- five to 15 feet away. Perfect distance. Uh, Erickson was on the ball. He had a perfect angle at it. And he said, no foul. Ball goes in the net. And he has to, they call him over. The, the VAR check takes three minutes. After two, two or three minutes, they call Paul Tierney over. And he's just staring at this one clip of this one angle for a solid two or three minutes. And then he finally overturns it. How is that clear and obvious? How is that clear and obvious? It, it shouldn't even... VR, the, a VAR check that lasts more than two minutes is an oxymoron. It's like, if it's clear and obvious, you're, you will be able to see that after one clip. One clip from one angle, you should be able to see if it's clear and obvious. The only reason you should use the second angle is to make sure that you didn't see something different. One thing... Like, clear and obvious. Before you get mm. it, you go ahead. I need to get this out. Clear and obvious. And this is no more egregious than the Bowen one or the Van Dyke one. Like, it needs to be clear and obvious. This was nowhere near clear and obvious. Should it have been a foul? I think so. But since it wasn't, it's not clear and obvious. It, it just isn't. If the ref is staring at it, you don't have the right in the booth to say you're wrong. Unless he's obviously wrong and not even the most wildest of Manchester United fans could say that that was a clear and obvious error. Your turn. One thing I will give credit to for Premier League VAR is I've I've said that there's a complete lack of of consistency with with their decisions, and there is. But one thing that has remained consistent is the fact that they've completely ignored the clear and obvious clause of VAR because they've never used it once. Essentially, what VAR no. is is re-refereeing. It's yeah. Taking it's refereeing the decision. You're basically again. taking it out of the main, um, out of the main ref's mm-hmm. hands, which is not what the point of VAR is. Yeah, no, it's not what the point of VAR is. It's not in the spirit of video review, but that's how it's always been. It's never been clear and obvious. Just look at the the Jared Bowen foul quotation marks on Mendy. Yeah, no human in their right mind could tell you that is a clear and obvious foul, or that has any sort of effect on the play. It's the same thing here. I, I probably think it could be a foul, too. I think I'd feel hard done by if it was the other way around and they didn't mm-hmm. call it as a foul. But it's subjective. In the moment, he made a subjective decision, Paul Tierney. And unless, unless VAR really felt that there was something completely different, that, oh, it wasn't just contact, like he completely like tripped him, then, yeah, sure, you know, reverse the decision. Mm-hmm. 
But if you're saying, okay, well, now it just is like maybe more contact than I thought before. Like, it's not in the spirit of the rules. It's not at all. But the Premier League has never done clear and obvious ever for VAR, which is a problem. But at least they're consistent in that regard. So I'll hand that to them. Yeah. Uh, about Man United, though, they took advantage of their opportunities. Absolutely. They had three uh, I think, clear I think opportunities, they, yeah. and they took them all. I, I think, honestly, I don't know if they were the better team on the day. I think it's very easy to say they were the better team because they scored three goals and Arsenal scored one. But, you know, ex- trained eyes might say Arsenal were the better team on the day. I think United were the better team in the day just because they were a little more lethal and a little more direct. I wish, Ars- it, it, especially in those first 15, 20 minutes, you knew it was going to be, you know, all energy for United mm-hmm. and kind of just Arsenal trying to stave off the early um, pushes for United, which it was. And, you know, Arsenal got that nice counter in that first 15 minutes to kind of silence the crowd a little bit. Um, but. This is this is what you want from United. This is maybe this isn't exactly the performance that Ten Hag, um, like a prime Ten Hag at United might produce someday in the future, but this is this is certainly the right direction. It seems to me like these, like as an Arsenal fan, I'm okay with giving away points to United. I think that they're just going to be a little bit too inconsistent this season to push for top four. They'll probably finish somewhere fifth or sixth. They might push for top four, but. I I don't these these specific performances I feel like they their squad isn't just gonna get up and bring the energy for Southampton at home or Brighton at home or Palace at home but they're gonna bring the energy for Arsenal yeah. at home so you're gonna get a lot of same thing with Liverpool you're gonna get a lot of good performances at home against those big six teams I just feel like they're gonna stumble a lot against those poor teams and you know they all count for three points so. Uh, I think that's kind of what you need to focus on as a United man, as a United fan. Just is this a great performance? Yes, but it's all about consistency. And from the other perspective, as an Arsenal fan, <clears throat> it's been my philosophy all along that if you lose every single Big Six game, that's ten games, home and away, and you win every other game, that's twenty-eight games times three. That's 84 points you're finishing second or third and you're not winning a single big big six game it's these games and by the way arsenal will beat united at home like nine times out of ten when we bring that energy like they did at at old trafford it's gonna go our way so we're not gonna lose every big six game but these are more morale boosters and morale killers than anything else and what I'm looking to see after this is that this young Arsenal team just maintains momentum. That's all. You know, it would have been nice to get three points here and keep the momentum going. Absolutely. But points in these games, I'm okay with giving away points to United. Yeah, absolutely. Going into this game, I wasn't really thinking much about the points. Going, going into this game, I'm thinking if we get a win against United here, I'm not thinking about, okay, another three points. I'm thinking like, okay, this is like a statement to like the rest of the league. Like, obviously yep. being perfect after six games and one including an away trip to Old Trafford. A lot of people were statement. like, yeah, they're per- a lot of people were like, yeah, they're perfect, but they haven't really had a test. Mm-hmm. So if they were, 
if they if they passed this one, it yeah. would have been like a, a huge statement. Yeah. Which I don't think they necessarily did. They fail this test. I don't even think so. No. They played fantastic. And another day, if this Martinelli goal goes in and silences the crowd, takes the energy out of Old Trafford after 12 minutes, it's a completely different game. No, I think. But the general consensus from Arsenal fans is that there wasn't a whole lot wrong with this performance. Like there wasn't a reason for concern. Like. Mm-hmm coming out of this game and going into, you know, a Europa League game this week and then Everton at the weekend. There wasn't, like, concerns from Arsenal fans like, oh, my God, if we can't fix this, like, we're in trouble. There wasn't any of that because we know what caused this loss. You know, things didn't Mm -hmm. line up just because we were trying to push United and United were so ruthless on the counterattack. Like you said, they took all three of their chances. Arsenal weren't as Mm -hmm. lethal. That's not – sometimes you're just going to have those games tough old trafford atmosphere it's gonna happen sometimes arsenal couldn't be perfect forever and going into old trafford and losing that perfection is not the worst thing Mm. in the world no it's all about how they rebound and it's also nice that they have this europa league game midweek to kind of um smooth out any of the wrinkles that may have been caused by this performance so um as an arsenal fan not too worried unless they lose a lot of momentum which is possible and that will round out the Match Week 5 and Match Week 6 content. We'll move swiftly along. Actually, no, we won't. We won't move swiftly along. We'll finish out Match Week 6. Tottenham 2, Fulham 1. I admittedly didn't watch too much of this game, but seemed like Spurs had control of it. Uh, for the most part. For all Fulham 90 had minutes. A couple, yeah. Had a couple they did, yeah. And Fulham... On. Yeah, they've been nagging a lot of these top six teams this year. So um, I can't imagine this was completely comfortable, but it seemed like Tottenham kind of had the three points. Yeah. Forest two, Bournemouth three. Very emotional win for Bournemouth yeah. after, after just having fired their manager, Scott Parker. Not yeah, Carson. Going from 2 0 down. As um, well. Yeah. 2 0 down to 3 2 up. Uh, This is one of those you know, crazily important games for relegation-threatened sides. Yeah. Two relegation favorites battling, uh, and Bournemouth comes, on, comes up on top. If you look back in May and they survive, they might be looking back on this comeback as a cornerstone of that uh, season. Yeah. Uh, Brentford 5 leads United 2, and Ivan Tony Hattrick propels Brentford over Leeds United. I believe Jesse Marsh got sent to the stands. He did. For this game. Uh <laughs> which is good. You always want that christening for a manager. I think he's a, he's a real Premier League manager now. Yeah. Wolves 1 Southampton nil. Another snooze fest for Wolves fans, but you know, three points is never really a snooze fest, is it? Um especially when you're not having a great season like Wolves is. Yeah. Uh Newcastle nil. Crystal Palace, nil, an actual snooze fest. <laughs> um, Newcastle having, uh, being being down, I believe, St. Maximon, as they were for the for uh, for a couple weeks now, and yeah. I believe another huge piece for them, like Kieran Trippier or something like that. No, I think Trippier played, but they were they were also out another huge piece. You know what? Let me look at the lineup. Um. Oh, Isaac. Isaac started. I know that. Yeah. Um, Isaac's played. Re- he played really well in that game. He, yeah. He looks like he's going to be a real menace. Yeah. To um, the rest you of the league. Wilfred Zaha continuing to impress, but none of those teams could manage the breakthrough. 
Uh, Aston Villa won, Man City won, and another game we could have covered this week, but City dropping points away from home against a, let's be honest, poor Aston Villa team thus far this season. Yeah, um, I have no idea one how Villa came out of this with a point. I, one I of those pretty much this whole game, and <laughs> I think the XG was the like, half. yeah, XG was like 2.2 to like 0. 0.4 or something like that. Like, it was like dreadfully one-sided, as you might yeah. imagine, but, um... Yeah, this is one of those performances for Steven Gerrard that might spark something over there. They definitely needed some kind of spark. Hopefully, this is it for Aston Villa. Uh-huh. Well, luckily, they play Leicester Bright- next week. So. Yeah. Oof. Nice and easy one. Yeah. Speaking of Leicester. Brighton 5, Leicester 2. Uh, this is perhaps the most concerning performance for Leicester City. They absolutely laid down. Um, another Another VAR point of contention in this game was that one of their players was off by i would say a half of a millimeter like a pixel on a screen maybe and that robbed us of potentially one of the goals of the season from like yeah this this is by far like forget the jarbo and edward (laughs) mendy like foul this was the biggest var injustice of the weekend i've (laughs) never seen a ball hit cleaner than this and it's like it's like you know um yeah he is a man on form right now but you know like uh on like the old like tvs where it has like a square that goes like up and oh yeah where the dvd thing and yeah the dvd you're just waiting for it to go like right in like the corner that was that McAllister's right (laughs) just just so perfectly hit into the top corner I, i i can't get over this strike and how it was denied yeah, and they scored a worldie of a free kick too. Uh-huh. And yeah, yeah, that's just a fuck you to VAR. Yeah. Can't overturn that one. <laughs> uh yeah. I mean, the thing is, is that you said it before. Like the the offsides calls are like, you know, black and white. If it's yeah. offsides, it's offsides. But you, know, it just didn't like. This is one of those where you can argue, it's ruining our sport. Because did the millimeter help the guy who didn't actually score the goal and it just led to the ball being popped out to McAllister for the banger? Did that really affect the play? Obviously not. But the argument is that, oh, if Alexis McAllister, instead of hitting it first time, top corner, if he hit it third time, it bounced off five Brighton players, one Palace player, and found the back of the net. Yeah. Are we now okay with uh, with overturning it just because it wasn't that good of a goal? Like. You know, it's very gray area when it comes to that stuff. But yeah, I agree. I uh, soccer gods really robbed us on this one. Definitely. And that rounds out match week six officially. We'll head swiftly along to our goal picks for next week. A little bit of a recap. I gave it. It was bound to happen eventually. But uh, I gave Ethan a goal this week. The fact I picked, that I gave Solanke it- scored and not Salah. Like, I'll take the goal, but it's a bit yeah. sad for my I best. gave him Kalizic, who was a striker in in Jimenez's place, who I picked, by the way. Um, And I gave Dominic Solanke of uh, Bournemouth. And, of course, Dominic Solanke finds the net. <laughs> and But luckily for me, Trossard found the net as well, even on the week. Ethan up 6-5 on the season. Ethan, get into your picks for this week. Okay, so my picks for this week couple familiar faces i'd say here my first pick is danny welbeck 
of Brighton, of course. Uh, Bound I to think, score eventually. Yeah, he has to score eventually. Brighton are scoring so many goals. McAllister can't score all of them. Like, they have a nice matchup away at Bournemouth. Yes, Bournemouth have been on a bit of a new manager bounce, but still, Brighton are on a current manager bounce because Grandfather mm. is clearly doing wonders there. <laughs> so, <laughs> Dan Welbeck, it the just old seems current manager bounce. has to score at some point. Hopefully, this week will be that week for him. And another person who I'm just having a blind faith that they'll eventually score is Mohamed Salah. Because <laughs> he scored 20 plus goals in all of his seasons up to this point. Only one goal in six games this season. I just think he's got to score at some point. Wolves usually don't let in a lot of goals. Of course, don't score many either. So maybe it won't be a high scoring game. But hopefully Salah will grab one of the goals in there. And my third pick in this is Leon Bailey. I had to take a Villa attacker because they're playing against Leicester. So it (laughs) should be goals galore. So I went with Leon Bailey, who could make it two goals and two after his goal against City at the weekend. So those are my picks for this week. Definitely not. Definitely more subtle than my picks last week of Kane, Holland, and Salah. Maybe you learned your lesson a little bit. Well, let's see uh, if I did. <laughs> you did. You can have all three. Yes. I went with uh, Sun Kane and Jesus. I thought, you know, the old city, Tottenham, free three points I was thinking for Tottenham Hotspur. Because Son comes alive. <laughs> Again, another player who need who could really use a goal. Son comes alive. I, I mean, uh, there so is they... exactly 0% chance that either Son or Kane doesn't score at the yeah. weekend. So I blocked both of them just to make sure. Um, and then I took Jesus because they're playing Everton and, you know, Everton at home. Probably going to produce some goals for that team. So, anyway, you can have all three. Awesome. And now for mine. First one up, Alexander Izak. Um, favorable matchup this week. I believe it is West Ham away. I... Not really a huge fan of what's going on defensively there. I know you said they were doing well, but um, they're coming along a little bit. But Newcastle, bit on form right now. So, especially as Zach, yeah, filling in nicely. Young player, like where he's going, going with Zach. Number two, similarly to you, needed to pick that one of those Aston Villa guys. Uh, I'm going with Ollie Watkins. Just, uh, it was him or Ings, and Watkins has gotten the start recently. So. Going with Watkins. Just, he's going to get some chances to score. I hope he puts one away. And also, similarly to you, I have blind faith in Mohamed Salah that even by accident, the ball's going to hit off him and go into the net. It's, he's too good not to score. Like, that's it. I, I don't even know who their matchup is. They're just, he's just too good not to score. They're playing Wolves. Uh, they're, they're playing Wolves. Yeah. Um. Anyway. What do you got for me? I got Ollie Watkins, not for you. <laughs> I put both Ings right. and Watkins, so it was you weren't getting either of them. I knew that okay. you wouldn't be able to resist one of those two against Leicester. So, hence why I went with Bailey, because I assumed that you'd pick either Ings or Watkins for me, which mm-hmm. you didn't, but yeah, so. Fair play, fair play. No All Ollie right. Watkins for you. Be careful with Solanke. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not giving you Solanke. Um, you are going to have Andre Ayew. <laughs> Andre Ayew. 
And in case it, Andre is it Andre Ayo or, Jor- or Jordan Ayo? Oh no, it's Jordan Ayo. You're right. Jordan Ayo. Andre Ayo is like yeah. an old man at this point. Yeah. Um. Yeah, he's way past yeah. it. And <laughs> just in case he doesn't start, um, Jean Philippe Mateta will be like your like backup in case. Right. Honestly, I'll take that. Just don't think he's gonna score. Or it only, <clears throat> only seems like Ayu scores against Arsenal. So yeah. <laughs> Moving on to our last piece of content for match week seven, the game predictions, starting off with Palace versus United at Selhurst Park. What do you got, Ethan? Palace versus United. I'm going to go with a slim 1-0 victory for United. Palace at home going into Selhurst Park. Never an easy task. And it seems like Crystal Palace always turn it on against the big six. Which must be the case because it always seems like we're giving Palace like all this credit because like they do well against like the big six teams. And then you check the table and they're what are they? I think they're like 14th or something. Where are they? They're yeah. 15th. Well, so they've, clearly... they have had a, a strong, they've had a tough schedule to start the season, but yeah. Yeah. So they're 15th. Nonetheless, I think United obviously fantastic form right now. Um, they seem to just be getting the job done right now. So I'm gonna go with a narrow one nil victory for them. One nil to United. Okay. I'm gonna go the other way a little bit. Um again, I am pretty sure that United are gonna be just too inconsistent this year to be relevant, at least top four wise. Um and I think it's gonna to start today or this week. Uh, I'm going to go 2-1 Bristol Palace. I think they're going to shock him a little bit. Again, teams tend to get up for these big six matches, and I think United expending all that mental energy to win the game against Arsenal are going to be just a little bit lacking at the weekend against Palace. A tough place to play. Um, smaller ground, set up before. They like, this year, they've been going over the top with Rashford. That's how they've been successful. They're going to have a little bit less space at Selhurst. Um, you know, I'm a big fields guy, smaller field. Um, yeah, Vieira loves to pack it in. They're just going to give United fits. If they manage to work their way through, find some finishes, could be one of those games where Ronaldo kind of bails him out at the end. He hasn't had great performances when he's come on this season, but he's due for some, something special. So could be one of those, but I think it's going to go. Crystal Palace's way, they're just going to have more energy. 2-1 Palace. Fair enough. Manchester City versus Tottenham Hotspur. Notoriously, over the last few years, one of the toughest games to predict. Or the easiest games to predict, depending <laughs> on how well you give credit to past results. Ethan, what do you got for us? Well, you took the words right out of my mouth. I mean, it seems like, for some reason, Tottenham just absolutely excel in this fixture, at least for the past couple of seasons. But for the past couple of seasons, Manchester City have not had Erling Holland like they do now. So I think Erling Holland is just gonna have a fantastic game where he terrorizes this Tottenham back line, especially with Romero still out, I believe. So yeah. actually it is wait a little bit actually I think he, back there. I think he played this weekend. So maybe Romero's still there. But nonetheless, I think he was the one yeah. who put in a very poor challenge and let Mitrovic score a nice goal. So I think Holland will 
run riot against that defense. Tottenham will still get on the board, but I think Man City are going to bounce back from that underwhelming draw at Villa Park. So I'm going to say 3-1 to City. 3-1 City. I'm going to go with history on this one, as much as it pains me. I'm going to go 2-1 Spurs. I It just plays right into Spurs' hands. Like, n- this season more than ever, it's like a direct correlation between, po- like, lack of possession and, like, points. It's <laughs> ridiculous. Honestly, ridiculous how well they perform when they act on the counter. And I don't think there's a team in the world that can stop them if they are on form on the counter. Um, This game is... At the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, I believe. It, no, City or home. So, okay. Even so, it's still going to give City trouble. They have been good offensively this year, but it's just going to be one of those games for City. And it's going to be one of those games where we're like, how did we not see this coming again? But guess what? I saw it coming. 2-1 Spurs. And that rounds out the podcast for this week. Another exciting weekend of football coming up. Um, I'm excited. I'm not sure how to end this one out. Longer <laughs> podcast for you guys. Um, closer to an hour. Hopefully you guys hung with us. But again, two match weeks to cover. A lot of content. A lot of controversy, that's for sure. Um, and if there's controversy, we're going to cover it. Absolutely. Put that on a t-shirt. <laughs> Anyways. Adios. See ya. Okay, yeah, that ran ridiculously long.